Well, we're in week three of our series, Unleashed, and we've been exploring how God desires to unleash us, His church, to make a difference in our world. He wants you and I to be difference makers. And so we've been studying through the book of Acts and the early church, looking at how God has used them to be difference makers and figuring out what we can learn from them so that we can be difference makers in our world. And I want to continue that process today. We've kind of chosen as the foundational verse for all this, the Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because it's in that verse that we are reminded where we get the power to be difference makers. And let me uh, read that again today for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power. And, and this is big power. Remember, the word for power here is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. And when, the, and when do we get that power? It's through the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses or difference makers in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now today, I want to talk about the role that being part of community plays in helping us to be difference makers. Uh, if you go back in history to the days when uh, the Europeans were making their way over to America and just beginning to get settled here, you know, there was that really pioneer spirit that was kind of the self-reliance, like, I can do this. And, uh, you know, they kind of put their gun on their shoulder and head out into the frontier, and they were going to conquer it all by themselves. And uh, during that time period where the government began to make land available to people out on the frontier, you know, people would take off all by themselves to go get their piece of land. And when they found their piece of land and staked their claim on it, they would, um, they would go and build a sod house right in the middle of their piece of property. Because when they looked out from their house, they wanted to be able to look in all directions and say, I own everything I can see. They didn't realize when they chose to build in the middle of their property all by themselves the impact it would have on their lives. And photographers would occasionally go out to the frontier and they would come back with these photographs of weird-looking men and kind of wild-eyed women. And what was happening, they were starved for relationships. And so over time, what you discover happening historically is people quit building in the middle of the property and they started building in the corners of their property where they could be in close proximity to three other families where they could have community. You see, they moved to the corner because they were hungry for relationships. They were hungry for community. And when they lived off all by themselves, they discovered that this, this self-reliant, pioneer, I can do it all by myself, I don't need anybody in my life, that attitude left a gaping hole in their lives. M. Scott Peck describes it in our lives this way. He says, we can never be completely whole in and of ourselves. We are inevitably social creatures who desperately need each other, not merely for company, but for any meaning to our lives whatsoever. We need each other. That's what they discovered. Now, even in America today, though, there still is this trend toward, I don't need anybody. Uh, kind of a, we're hungry for relationships. Paul, uh, uh, in his book, Bowling Alone, um, I can't think of the guy's name now. I just went totally blank. Anyway, the author of the book, Bowling Alone, he did a lot of research and he discovered that in the last 25 years, the participation in civic organizations by people is down 58%. He discovered that families since the early 70s eat together 33% less of the time. And he discovered that we are less inclined to have people over to our home just to hang out together to build relationships. That's down 45%. 
in the last several years. So again, we sort of have taken on this self-reliant, I don't need anybody, I can do life all by myself attitude. And it leaves us hungry for relationships. And it, it is a trend that goes counter to everything that Jesus modeled in His life. When Jesus decided that He wanted to expand the influence of His movement, that He wanted to be able to unleash armies of people to be difference makers in the world, He did one thing. He did not start a country. He did not put together an army. He didn't establish a university. He started a small group. He recruited 12 guys and He brought them together to do life together and His plan was that He would be with them. Jesus' movement from early on has always been a small group movement and the curriculum has always been the be with plan. Jesus would be with them and they would be with each other. And these early followers of His, they did life together. They studied together. They learned together. They prayed together. They argued together. They learned to forgive together. And the key component was that Jesus was always with them. He was with them when they tried to serve God. When they were sick, He was with them. When they failed at life, He was with them. When they were confused or discouraged, He was with them to help them. He was with them. And that's what He modeled early in life. And you know what happened then when Jesus left this earth and went back to heaven? These 12 guys in His original group, they kind of said, you know what, I think we get the point. And they started organizing other people into small groups. And they followed the Be With curriculum. Be with Jesus and be with each other. And when we move into Acts chapter 2 and we read about the early church as they are just getting formed really and just things are getting rolling, it becomes really obvious when you read here that they are living out exactly what Jesus had modeled for them. They're living out this be with idea. Be with Jesus and be with each other. And that's what I want to look at for a few moments today. And so I hope you write your Bibles as always. Why don't you take them out or your phone or your iPad and to find your way to Acts uh, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at uh, just four or five verses at the end of Acts chapter 2. Now, remember last week we looked at the first part of Acts 2, and that's where Peter tells his very, very simple story about Jesus. And he offers a clear invitation to people to respond to what is true because of the story of Jesus. And literally thousands of people began to follow Jesus Christ because they just heard this simple story. And so the church is just getting rolling. It's getting formed. These thousands of people who respond are beginning to do life together. And listen, thinking about what Jesus modeled, His be with plan, listen to what we read in Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to everything Jesus had taught them, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, 
based on what Jesus had modeled and what the early church is experiencing here in Acts chapter 2, it seems, it seems to me that being part of a small community played some kind of vital role in being difference makers. Small groups, small communities of believers was not a, an optional part of the life of the church in the book of Acts. It was the life of the church. And as far as I know, the Holy Spirit didn't come along somewhere in history and say, well, stop everything. We're going to kind of change directions here. We're going to make a big shift. We're going to change the way we think about the church. And from now on, church is just going to be when we, we gather together in this large corporate gathering, and that's what we'll call church. And that way, that way, nobody will really get to know you. You won't have to worry about people knowing what's really going on in your life. They'll never really get to know your heart. We'll just make that church. No, that doesn't happen anywhere in Scripture. The plan always was, and it still is, the be with plan. Be with Jesus and be with a small community of people where you do life together. Where people actually get to know you. Now listen, hear this, okay? As I don't want you to misunderstand. If you look at the early life of the church, this kind of large corporate gathering was a significant part of the early life of the church. And so I am not in any way today trying to diminish the importance of the role that this plays in our life. It is, it is an important piece. But it's not the only piece. It's just one piece. And the other piece that we see modeled here in the book of Acts and in the early church was a smaller community of people. And it seems to me, based on what Jesus modeled and what I read here in the book of Acts, that there was something that being together in this smaller community provided in people's lives that allowed them to be difference makers that we don't get anywhere else. So today, for a couple of minutes, I want to point out at least a couple of those things that I think are true that happened in this small community and they were happening in the early church that give us what we need, a piece of what we need to be difference makers in our world today. The first thing is this. Community provides a safe place to be real. Provides a safe place to be real. Listen again to the last part of uh, verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want to focus on one word, and it's the word sincere. It, uh, this word has an interesting origin, and uh, the story about its origin is uh, also very interesting. The word has Latin roots, and the first part of the word sin means without. The second part of the word seer means wax. So it means literally without Wax, but, but here's where the word came from. You see, in ancient times, the Romans were very fond of statues, and uh, especially old statues. And they would, they would trade these statues. They would sell them to each other, give them away. But sometimes these statues that were, statues that were quite old would develop cracks in them and have scratches and mars. And so they didn't want to give away or sell a, a product that wasn't in good shape. And so to sort of cover up the, the scratches, the cracks, they would melt wax and they would fill in the cracks, cover up the scratches, and then they would give it or sell it away. 
So if you received a statue and you began to examine it and you noticed immediately that, oh, this thing, they've covered cracks with wax, you'd probably be disappointed. But if you bought a statue and you carefully examined it and discovered, hey, this thing has no cracks, no scratches, you would say, I was given a sincere statue, one without wax. And Luke says of the early church that when they were meeting together, they had sincere hearts. They were without wax. There was no pretending, no hiding. They were being real. And you know what? We all need a place in our lives where that can happen. A place where we can just be real. Where we can say, hey, this is who I am with all the good stuff and the bad stuff. This is me. We need a place where we can be without wax. No pretending. No hiding. There's an interesting uh, reference in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament part of your Bible to Moses. And if you remember the Old Testament story, Moses uh, goes up on Mount Sinai and he has an, uh, this encounter with God. And he's literally in the presence of God. And when he comes back down from the mountain, he is glowing. I mean, literally glowing because he's been in the presence of God. And I can just imagine people, when Moses comes back down, you know, there is this sort of sense of, of awe about him. Wow, look at Moses. Man, he's glowing. He's been with God. And uh, Paul in Second Corinthians makes a reference to uh, a passage in the Old Testament where it says that Moses began to, to wear a veil to hide the fact that the glow was disappearing. You see, the, the longer he had been down from the mountain, the, the less he glowed. And, and this is just my conjecture about this part, but he, so he begins to wear this veil. We know that. But you wonder, why does he wear the veil? Is it because he doesn't want people to realize that the, the glory is diminishing? I mean, he kind of maybe likes the attention, the awe. Wow, look, look at Moses. He's been with God. He doesn't want people to realize that's disappearing. Now, I don't know how long he wears this veil or why he eventually takes it off. I mean, you know, maybe his wife one day says to him, come on, Moses, get rid of the veil. Everybody knows the glow is going away. Quit pretending. Take it off. But here's what Paul says after he makes reference to that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it is with unveiled faces that we reflect the glory of God. Interesting, isn't it? And isn't reflecting the glory of God a part of what makes us difference makers in our world? And Paul says that for us to be able to be a reflection of God's glory, we have to have unveiled faces. In other words, we've got to be real. We've got to take off the mask. We've got to quit pretending and quit hiding and be real. And all of us need a safe place in our lives where we quit pretending and we get real with a small group of people about who we are. Because you know what the truth is? It's far too easy to come to a gathering like this with veiled faces, with wax covering the cracks. It's far too easy to come here and pretend that everything's just great in life. And all of us need a safe place where we can go and be real and say, this is who I am, and this is what's going on in my life, and here's where I'm hurting, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I am celebrating. And a lot of us need a little less pioneer spirit 
as a little more of moving our lives to the corner of the property where we interact with people and we're a little more real. Here's the second thing I would notice in this passage. Community provides support. Community provides support. I think it's inherent in these four, five, six verses that we read that the people in the early church, they were together. And I think inherent in what was happening there was they found support for life there. They found encouragement. I heard about uh, this guy that went to the same barber every week. And when he would go to the barber, he was very talkative, but the barber really wasn't. And so this guy would go and tell him things that were going on in his life, but the barber was never impressed. In fact, he was pretty much not interested in hearing what was going on in the guy's life. Wait, one, one time the guy went into the barber, he was really excited because he had this big trip to the Italy plant and he was going to have an audience with the Pope. And so he's telling the guy, the barber, all about it. And the barber's like, that's not, you're not going to have an audience with the Pope. You're not even going to get close to him. I mean, you might see him from a distance, but you're not going to get to talk to him. Well, the guy goes on his trip, and he actually does get an audience with the Pope and gets to talk to him and everything. So when he returns from his trip, he can't wait to see the barber. And he goes in and he tells him, I actually did it. I got to, I got to talk to him. I shook his hand. I kissed his ring. I bowed down before him. He said, it was incredible. And the barber, now he's interested. I mean, he can't believe it. He says, well, well did he say anything to you? He said, the guy says, yeah, it was kind of strange. He looked at me really funny for a couple of minutes, and then he said, where did you get that lousy haircut? Now, that's not the kind of support that we need. And we need better jokes than that too, don't we? Ecclesiastes says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Hebrews 3 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what? In the New Testament alone, it tells us as Christ followers to encourage one another, and it says it more than 100 times. I think this was pretty significant. And God understood the need that every single one of us have for encouragement. I mean, anybody think, oh, I don't need to be encouraged? I mean, if you do, can I be honest and just say you're lying to yourself? All of us need encouragement. But when we try to go through life without really being connected in relationship with some people who can encourage us, you know what happens to us? We lose focus and we lose energy. The energy that we need to be difference makers. Because life is, life is tough sometimes. And we need people to be around us to encourage us so that we can stay focused and have energy to be difference makers in our world as we live out our lives. Um, we haven't done this for a couple of years, but uh, in the early years of our staff retreats, when uh, we, we usually try once a year to go away for a couple of days, and uh, we would take time during these staff retreats to, to focus on one staff member. And so when it was that staff member's turn, we kind of focus on them, and we would all take turns going around saying, hey, here's, here's what I really appreciate you about you. Here's, here's the things I want to affirm in you. We would just spend some time, several minutes, encouraging them. And, and that felt good. Can you imagine this morning if we were to take some time and we were to go around and take a moment with every single person gathered in this room to affirm you, to encourage you, just to tell you why we appreciate you? 
I mean, it would take a lot of time, wouldn't it? I mean, we couldn't afford the rent, you know, in that amount of time that it would take. Or what if we could? We had the time this morning for every single one of you to stand and say, you know what, Here, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm hurting, and the rest of us would pour out our encouragement on you. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? But there's not time to do that in this kind of setting. And yet all of us need in our lives a place where that can happen. A place where people can affirm us. A place where when we're struggling, others can encourage us. I, I get that in two places in my life. Uh, the, and you've heard me talk about both of these. Uh, the first is I have a group of pastors, five other pastors, from some churches right here in the city of Cape Coral. We meet together almost every Monday for lunch. And I know for me that's a safe place. It's a place where I can say, hey, life's not so great. And here's my struggles. Here's my hurts. And I know those guys are going to affirm me. And I'm going to do the same back to them because we've built a relationship of trust where we can be real. We don't have to pretend. You know, I tell them when it was a stinky Sunday. You know, and we tell each other on Mondays why all the reasons we think we ought to resign and do something else in life. No, we don't really. We all love our churches. Uh, here's the second place that that happens for me. The second place is in my life group. You know, Peg and I, are, like many of you, are part of a life group. And we know that's a place where when there's stuff going on in our lives, you know, I'm not going to stand up here every Sunday and say, well, let me tell you, you know, three things you need to pray about for me. It's not, it's not the time or the place. But in that group, there is the opportunity for everybody who's a part of our group to say, hey, could you, could you pray about this? Here, here's where I'm struggling. And we need those kinds of places in our lives. We need places where that can happen. As adults, we need it. You know what? Our, our, our kids need it, parents. That's why I encourage you parents that with elementary kids, your kids need to be in Kid Point because you know what? It models for them the value of being in a smaller community. And, and as a part of that gathering every week, they get this kind of large group worship time, but they also get some small group time with some of their peers and an adult leader where they can, they can learn that in value of being encouraged and being connected. And we understand it's important for our high school and our middle school students, and so we encourage them to be part of a smaller gathering on Wednesdays and Thursday nights so that they have a place with their peers where, where they can do community and they can say, you know, life really stinks right now. And there are some peers and people around them that can love them and encourage them so that we all need that kind of thing in our lives. Uh, Jean, I'm not sure how to say her last name, Nidich, uh, many years ago now, um, weighed 214 pounds and needed to lose a significant amount of weight. And so she went to the health department in New York State and they developed a diet just for her and she began to follow that diet and the pounds began to come off. But when she got to the mark where she still needed to lose about another 50 pounds, she got pretty discouraged. And so she called up some friends and they came to her apartment and she shared the diet plan that she they were on and they just started encouraging each other and they started meeting together every week to just encourage each other. And that last 50 pounds came off pretty quickly. Uh, you, you know her company today. They're, her company now is worldwide and in the, the United States every week more than a million people in some 250,000 different gatherings get together for Weight Watchers, which is all about encouragement. But trust me, we have a much higher calling in life than losing weight. And we need encouragement to be difference makers. We need a group of people that we get together with regularly that's going to encourage us. 
Oprah Winfrey said, uh, lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. It's true, isn't it? I mean, we need some people who come alongside of us when life is a struggle. And that is exactly what Jesus modeled for His followers, and it is exactly what the early church practiced. They understood the value of coming together in community. Now again, what we do here on Sundays together when we gather like this is vitally important to our relationship with God and our connection as part of the larger group of the church. We need this. It's important. But it's just one piece. And again, we need that other piece of a small community of believers to do life with. You know what? I don't know why we think that our idea, our plan that I can do life all by myself, that I don't really need to be connected to other people, why do we think that our plan is better than Jesus' plan? He knew what He was doing when He created us and wired us up. And if He modeled and says it's valuable for us to be in community, He probably knows what He's talking about. For a lot of us around here, We've discovered the significance in our lives of being part of a smaller community. And there are many people here this morning who could stand up here right now and could testify of the value and the blessings they've discovered in their lives because they've connected in a smaller community. But there are still far too many people around here who are living as pioneers. And your house is planted in the middle of the property. And you're not really connected. And I would encourage you this morning, it's time to move your lives to the corner of the property and find community with some people where you can be real, you can be encouraged, so that you can stay focused and have energy to be the difference makers that God calls us to be. Listen, it's not my idea. It's God's idea. It was part of His plan. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for Your plan and Your really invitation, God, to be connected to other people. God, you you modeled. Your son modeled it so clearly in the way that he connected with a small group of people and just did life with them. Father, the early church, as we studied them, they made it so clear as they practiced the same thing. God, we understand this morning that that's never changed. So would you help us to see this morning the value of being connected in relationship. And Father, there are some in this room who kind of need to give up the old pioneer spirit today and need to admit that they need community in their lives. Father, thanks thanks for making us with a need for relationship. Thank you for what relationships do in our lives. God, we want to be difference makers. We want to change our community. So Father, help us to see the vital role that being part of community plays in that and live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray.